Welcome to Geezers and Gurus on HVAC. This is Carl Darge. This is my podcast on Anchor.com. has helped me get this podcast up and running, and I really appreciate it. This series is going to be uh, Sherlock on service AC uh, units. To give you some background on all of this, I have been doing this for uh, 60 years, and I have pretty much worked on just about everything and have investigated a bunch more. I feel that air conditioning is a luxury, a nice luxury, but still a luxury. So therefore, if you're going to have it, then you should have a good, efficient system. And how do you make that system efficient? There's a lots of different ways. How many different types of air conditioners are you? Some people, and I've looked this up online, and they say, oh, there's five of them. Well, there's basically five for residential. But when you start going into commercial and some of the other ones, you're going to get into a whole bunch of different types. So what do we have? How do we cool things? Cooling is absorption of heat and transferring it to another location. How do you absorb the heat? You can absorb the heat by freon gases expanding, by cold water absorbing the heat, and that's pretty much the the basic. But there is another one that has not been used. I remember reading about this particular system, and I thought it was pretty cool. So I'm going to mention this right up front because I've never seen one put in. How about one with basically... No moving parts, and you have AC. And you go, what? That's right. No freons, no water involved, no anything. This was a very interesting system I saw that was laid out. It takes a little bit of digging, but this is how it works. You take your underground uh, heating ducts, metal, and you bury them five feet underground. And you do it in a big conglomeration. Not sure how many feet. That has to be figured out. There is a formula for that. And the air comes in from the outside, runs through this duct system, and then goes into your house. That ground will cool that air to about 50, 56 degrees, which is enough to cool your house. That is a passive type system. Obviously, there's no active machinery other than a fan that moves the air through. But then you also have to um, exhaust the heat in the house to make room for the air you're putting in. So that's how that system works. Uh, You can get elaborate with it. I've never seen one put in. I looked at all the mechanics of it and thought that was a good idea. And it's a very low power usage because all you have is a fan moving the air through the duct system. So that's your most efficient one. Not recommended. One of the problems that you will find with something like that is groundwater. Groundwater could be a problem as far as filling the ducts up. So not recommended that, but I just want to throw that out there as a thought. Now we have many kinds of duct systems. The mini splits are very popular today, and I am amazed at how many manufacturers make them. Uh, One of the things about mini splits that I do like is that they're efficient, they're quiet. You can use multiple heads on one unit now. One compressor, that's a variable compressor, very good. We just uh, did a video on our Let's Really Teach HVAC website on the Mitsubishi mini-split system, which I am very impressed with. You can't even hear these things run. We had one ceiling cassette and a bunch of wall units. The thing that I like about the mini-splits is 
you don't have to be a super mechanic. It's easy, if, but you just have to make sure that you take your time and do it right, just like anything else in this business. Nice thing I liked about the Mitsubishi is, is that, that we were doing three-head condensers, and so long as the line sets on all three uh, heads did not equal more than 100 feet, you didn't have to add a charge, take out a charge, or do anything to it. It was already charged. So it's almost like a pre-charged system. I really like that idea. I've talked to a couple contractors. said, yeah, we're going to do a whole house with that and use them for heating and cooling. Well, that will not meet the IAQ uh, guidelines set by the uh, state of Michigan and the new energy codes that we have to have X amount of air coming in and all of that stuff. So if you're doing it on a new structure, um, you have some real problems. Retrofitting, I just absolutely love them. I think they're a great idea. Family room, everything. I like the total control that you have, so you can only have to cool the parts of the house that you're actually occupying. And that's really nice, too. I like the mini splits. I think they're very good. Um, one of the things I would say to you is, is that before you purchase one, find out from the supplier or the contractor or whoever you're dealing with, is, uh, do they have parts available for older units? I'm finding that the uh, one of the problems with some of these companies that uh, if the unit is three or four years old and you go to get a part for it, a circuit board or something, it's no longer made because they've upgraded the unit, changed it, changed the model, and they don't make the part anymore. I found that that's to be very inconvenient for some people, and especially if you got three or four heads on a unit, they find out that the uh, circuit board for the condensing unit is no longer made, you're kind of screwed. So you have to replace everything. That has happened. I've been actually involved in systems like that. The thing that I found out, though, is one company, and I don't know if there's more. There probably is. But I do know that Mitsubishi is very good with their parts, and I've had them in and operating with very little service and uh, great um, outputs and everything else. Uh, they, I've had them actually working for more than 15 years on the job. I, I'm not saying that uh, just by Mitsubishi, there are dozens and dozens of these companies out there, so you make the choice. Now we go into uh, the window air conditioners. That is probably the least efficient system, the cheapest but the least efficient. You won't get any real good sear ratings from a window air conditioner. It's just not possible. They can't put in a big enough coil to do that. So you're going to have uh, low efficiencies on these things. But it does serve a purpose. Sometimes there's no other way of getting air conditioning into a space, and the window is the best way to do it. If it's running 110 volts, which most people have, the only, that's the only thing they have available, you're going to be limited on the size that you can actually put in because when you get past a certain point, you're going to have to go to 220, either have the electrical upgraded or that is a problem. Then you got to drag them in, drag them out, and now they got, uh, I just saw they have a window air conditioner with a slot in it, so it allows you to set it on the sill and then close your window and just bring it right on down and close it. That's kind of neat, but it's not the perfect way you have... A lot of issues with the uh, window air conditioners that you don't have with the central. And now you got central. 
Central air conditioning, obviously in the southern parts of the United States and in the warmer climates, are usually a central unit with a blower and a coil, and then you have the outside condensing units. That's probably the norm for it. They all use Freon of one kind or another. Uh, you can get SERA uh, ratings between 13 and 25. If you're in the southern states of the United States, your SERA ratings should be a minimum of 15. But I have 15 up here in Michigan. On my own house, I had that. So I don't think that that's a real good deal. I would certainly look at, and I know they're expensive, but the higher the efficiency, the higher the SEER rating that you can get, the lower your electric bill. It's, it's an inverse curve here. Higher the SEER, lower electric bill. Lower the SEER, higher the electric bill. Pretty simple. It's not just lower your electric bill that's important. It's enough. To, we need to save energy. We need to uh, make our planet a little greener and cleaner. You have to do things to your house, too, to make sure that the air conditioner units work good and great. If you have a southern exposure and lots of glass, well, film on that glass to reflect the light back out is a very good idea. Good insulation in the attic in the southern states, just like we do in the northern states. We got R50 in the attics over here. You should have that in your southern states, too. You have to remember, no matter where you are, that heat goes to cold every time. It'll penetrate through walls, windows, doors, whatever. Roofs, attics, insulation. Yes, even insulation. Insulation is only slows down the heat transfer. That's what the R value is. It's the rate of resistance against the transfer of heat. And that's exactly what you're doing. In the northern states, we try to keep the heat in with this insulation. And in the southern states, you're trying to keep the heat out of your house. So what types of uh, uh, AC systems are there out there? Well, there's what we call air-to-air, -air, which means you have a blower system in your house. And you have a condenser outside. The condenser outside has a fan on it and you're transferring the heat from the house. It gets absorbed by the expanding gas with the cooling coil in your furnace or your air handler. And that expanded gas goes out the large pipe to your condensing unit, and uh, it is compressed, and the heat is squeezed out through the condensing unit coil with the fan moving air over. It condenses it back to a liquid, which goes back through into the house as a... Uh, uh, cooler, high-pressure liquid. And when that liquid hits the fan, uh, coil in your house, it goes through a regulation device. Today, pretty much all of them are TX valves. But we used to have what they call pistons and, and cap tubes. Both of those are also regulating devices. And when it comes through, it's high-pressure to low-pressure. Your high-pressure refrigerant goes into this massive low-pressure coil, and it has to expand. And when it goes to expand, it needs energy to expand. So that energy is what the heat is in your house, and it absorbs that heat and expands to a gas. That's how it works in a nutshell. If anything isn't uh, working the way it should, then your air conditioning doesn't either. That's one way. We also have geothermal. Geothermal uses the ground temperature to do the cooling instead of the air. So you don't have a condenser outside. 
but you have a well where uh, water usually, maybe Freon, depending on your geothermal system, goes down and, and takes and releases the heat to the earth and then comes back to the house and then starts the process that way. There's also one other one that uh, I've used, and that is water, chilled water, that you use to, um, how should I say, pass through, and you use a chilled water coil in your furnace, and you're putting chilled water. Now, uh, water temperature can be down to as low as 45 degrees, and that goes and uh, works instead of Freon. Uh, it's not like you don't have Freon, because then you come back to the condensing unit outside, and you can have an air condensing unit, which I have put those type in, that will uh, take and uh, use Freon to make the water chill. It's called a chiller, obviously. You're chilling the water down. So I did those with Unico. Now, what's the advantage of that system? Well, I had a very large house, and we had, we had 15 Unico systems on one job and five Unico systems on another job. So we put in the Uni chiller. They no longer make it, but you can get a water chiller that will adapt to these systems. And it would chill the water, and all we were passing is water to instead of Freon. And that worked very well because we never had to worry how many systems were online. All the condenser did was maintain a certain chilled water temperature within the receiver in the uh, outside condensing unit. So, I like that system. I used it a lot. And it's also what they do in commercial buildings. I worked on uh, high-rises in Detroit where we had uh, a 100-ton train compressor that was basically making chilled water. And it was on the roof. And uh, that chilled water went through the, the whole building and it would go down into uh, air handlers that just had a fan coil. In the wintertime, the chilled water was shut off and they had a boiler that would make hot water and that would go through the system and heat it. That's the way a lot of high-rises are done. I also did a bank downtown Detroit with a um, rack carrier system. It was water-cooled. It chilled water. It was in a basement as a rack. Uh, it was a 50-ton unit with three compressors, and it would stage off and on, start with 10 tons, and then it would go on to hit the 15-ton compressor, and that would... A 10 ton would unload 5 tons, and then as that came up and you got to 20 tons, then the 5 ton would reload back on, and when that was up and running, the 15 ton would unload and the 25 ton compressor would come on. I had a chance to rebuild the compressors and uh, replace one of the condensers on there. There was a point in time in this country where air conditioning wasn't like in every building. It just wasn't. People had windows that opened even in high-rises and schools and other places like that, homes. Uh, ranch fans were the big thing, turn the fan on and trying to get the cool air in from outside if you could do that. But when we had these, all these buildings built and were built in the 30s and 40s and early 50s, uh, air conditioning wasn't a big part of the commercial uh, building business at that time. It was used here and there. But when it became more of a norm, they had to get air conditioners in there, so these freestanding and train was all did a lot of them, and I think GE did a bunch of them. They were freestanding units that would stand in a large room where you had all these people working at their desks and stuff, and it would just blow cold air through the whole thing. It could be like a five-ton unit in there, 
and that would use uh, water a lot of times. They would have a uh, uh, water condensing unit in this with a regular compressor, and that's how they would make it a self-contained air conditioner. And you can do this on multi-floors because all you're doing is running some water lines up there to get these units and the electric alongside of it, and you didn't have to duct it, you didn't do anything. And it was real popular uh, in the 50s and into the 60s. But then the world changed. We knew that if you had people and they're all closed up in a building, we need fresh air. So now the uh, fresh air had to come in uh, and be monitored and so much air and this and that, which is all good. This is all good for our health. Multi-zones came in where you could do many zones in a building. You had hot, cold decks doing it. They were, these units were located on the rooftops or in a mechanical room. I did a lot of them in mechanical. And you would have a hot deck and a cold deck, and you could uh, heat and cool the building or any part of it or any zone of it that you wanted at any point in time. Large commercial buildings have these units now that uh, are all computer-driven, of course, so that they can uh, maintain good energy uh, efficiencies and stuff like that where you can mix the outside air as you need to. You can uh, heat and cool and do all of these things that you have to. The new systems are very interesting. They're very complicated. But you want to know something? Those systems are getting to be like what they're requiring now for new housing. And uh, actually, you should get in line with some of the existing housing. It is uh, very important in today's world because we've found out an awful lot of things about the uh, health of the uh, air, air quality that is indoors. And it's very important to bring in a certain amount of fresh air, exhaust a certain amount of air, filter it very well. And that doesn't mean a one-inch filter that you throw away. It's a better filtration that we need. Humidity control, once you do that with air conditioning by taking out excess humidity, which makes you feel cooler. So humidity removal is actually a very big part of air conditioning, dehumidification. It's one of the reasons why I like the uh, Unico system so much that I put in hundreds of those in there because of their coil and the way they work. They actually take out 30% more humidity than a standard house air conditioning system, which is a very good way of controlling the humidity in the house. And I found that uh, with these systems, or a standard health system, if it's put in correctly, if you can get the humidity out, you can be very, very comfortable in your house with 76 to 78 degree temperature setting on your thermostat and feel actually very cool. My house was that way for 15 years. Most housing today has centralized air. And whether you're down south or up north, we have the uh, forced air furnaces, and we have centralized air. But the reality is uh, centralized air in a standard house is, is good. It's very good. One of the things that one does do, if you have your system set up correctly and it's working efficiently, uh, the new filtration systems will remove the pollen out. So now you're not only cool and comfortable, you're not sneezing and coughing. If you add a, uh, uh, a UV light that actually has a... Uh, a, a class 2 medical uh, number from the FCC, you can actually use remove germs and viruses and everything else, uh, odors, and it breaks down a lot of off-gassing and everything else. So if you get a complete system because you're closing up your house, you're going to bring in fresh air, controlled fresh air, 
as of January 2019, the state of Michigan does require an air changer on all new houses. I think that's an absolutely fabulous idea because you should control the amount of air that comes in and out correctly. And I think that should be added on every existing house as the equipment is changed out. This really stabilizes the house, really gets it to a point where it's clean, and makes the whole system very efficient. It's good because it keeps the occupants healthy. The more people you have living in the house, the more reason why you need to have air changes and stuff. And if you had a couple of dogs and a cat, even more reason why you need air changes. One of the biggest enemies of air conditioning, especially if you have a two-story house, is the heat that comes through the uh, ceiling and the attic into your, your upstairs. And the real big reason why, gee, the upstairs is so hot, I don't know what to do. How do we do take care of that? On one of my videos on Let's Really Teach HVAC, we actually go into a house that had this exact same problem. This is the uh, Jackson series house where I have uh, that problem solved. The 70s built house had all low wall registers, so we uh, added some high wall registers to the second floor, but we did not cut off completely the low wall registers. We only closed them halfway, blocked them off. This allowed air to come from both high and low. That is actually the best way to take air in and out of a system. And we also uh, did some other things. So look at the video to give you some ideas. This is all done by the homeowner on a job, not by, the, uh, not by me. I did the filming. They did the work. I've been using film on w windows for 30 years, depending on the job. A lot of houses, you got these nice big trees all around your house and everything else. Well, you don't need it. But if you have a southern or western exposure on your house and you have uh, windows that face that sun, late afternoon sun in the west or a southern exposure where you get the sun, the film is very good. You can actually reduce your heating load by 10% or more by reflecting this out. And I do ex emphasize the or more most of the uh, jobs we did. We even did this on commercial buildings where they had a western exposure on the plate glass windows facing the street. We put the film on there. It didn't seem to affect the view for the, from the outside, but from the inside, it cut the heating load by about 20%. If you're looking for uh, a place to buy this film, you can buy it at Lowell's. I saw it at their stores. That's one way of doing it. Attic insulation is another way of doing it. Good attic insulation used correctly. Uh, in the southern states, I'm not sure how many how much insulation they put in the attic, but it should be equal to what we put in the northern states because you want to prevent the heat from coming into your house. The other part of that is is proper attic ventilation to reduce the heat that's built up in the attic. If you don't reduce that heat, if your attic gets to be 140 degrees or higher, which it can do very easily on a sunny, hot, warm day, that heat is going to come through and radiate through into your house. Remember, hot goes to cold every time. So what you're trying to do, even if it's a 95 to 100 degrees outside, you want your attic to be 95 to 100 degrees. You're not trying to cool it but you can't release it. One of the problems is that now they'll say you use a power ventilator or that, and that's one way to do it. 
but with the turbines that used to be put on these buildings, you can do the same thing without using any electricity. I highly recommend the turbines because it's, it's uh, foolproof. It works uh, year-round, no power, and it really does a wonderful job of lowering the attic temperature, which lowers the temperature in your house by not having the air conditioning run as long. Very worth the investment, and they last a lifetime. The first AC units I put in was with my father. We had what we call precharged units uh, with quick connects. It was a Luxair slant front unit. Um, I think the R rating on that one, or the SEER rating on that one, was uh, six. And uh, they disappeared when they couldn't get it past eight. So the other part of that is, is that they had uh, quick connect fittings that would be self-piercing. So you had to be careful. You had to make sure your oil fittings and got them on there really tight and everybody said they always leaked. Well, we had a probably, that's not actually false, but they weren't the best fitting ever and I'm glad they got rid of them and went to uh, soldered fittings. Uh, we used to do uh, the Lennox units. They were not quick connect, but they were flared. We used to flare the three quarter put it on there that it allowed us to uh, shorten the line sets without having to blow the charge or anything so that was a pretty good system and I like the Linux for that those are the Linux tabletop units and if you remember those old Linux units came with a 50-foot coil of quarter-inch tubing that was the part of the regulating device there was no regulating device at the coil itself it was inside the unit it was a short piece of cap tube that was actually releasing the liquid out of the condensing unit into that 50-foot piece of quarter-inch tubing and then into the coil. That's the way that system worked. Um, they liked the tabletop units because they said every time it rained it would wash the coil out. And they were not wrong about that. It was actually pretty good. The only time you had an issue was if you had a lot of cottonwood in the area, and that always plugs up any air conditioner no matter what you got. Okay, this is where Sherlock Holmes comes in. Sherlock on service on the AC. We're going to talk about the refrigeration service and as we go through each piece we'll tell you what default could be. Let's start right at the compressor and you've got your gauges on the system and you start it up and if uh, let's say the gauges don't move and I've had units that compressors running away, fans running away, the inside units running away but the gauges are what we call flatlined. They hardly move at all between the suction and the head. That means that the unit was probably at overcharged and you blew the uh, valves out in the compressor. So the only thing you can do with that particular one is replace the compressor. Another one is, is that, oh, gee, the compressor isn't actually starting. And you put your hand in the compressor and it may be too hot. That means the internal overload is, uh, uh, has broken or has it opened up and it's an overload for heating so it shuts off you got to cool the compressor down a bucket of uh, ice works really well so why would the overload open up a lot of times it would be on a hot day when the condensing coil outside is all loaded up and dirty it can't release the heat the temperature and the pressure rises that it goes up inside the compressor and it'll knock it off so you might have to wash or clean the outside coil it also could be that the fan motor may be going 
bad or intermittent. If the fan does shop, if let's say it runs, if it's an old unit and the thing is running and all of a sudden the fan shuts off, I've actually had that happen. And uh, we have to replace the fan motor. Also, the capacitor itself, uh, especially a dual capacitors or just a single capacitor, they're not made in America anymore. They're made in some foreign country, and they don't last the way they used to. Stay with the compressor not working correctly. So, so you're going to check the, the electrical on it. The contactor, it can have a bad coil, which means it's not working. The uh, actual contacts can be pitted, which means that you're overamping, which will you know, overheat the compressor. Or you could have a loose wire at it. A loose wire will do the same thing. It'll overheat the compressor. So you have to check all of this stuff. And the loose wires go all the way back to the uh, disconnect box, too. You can check that out there. If you see that you have discoloration on those contactors, then I will tell you what are the uh, terminals on either the uh, contactor or the disconnect. When those terminals change colors, you have changed the molecular structure of the metal. Now, when the molecular structure of the metal gets changed and is discolored, it no longer is what it's supposed to be. It needs to be changed. It'll start drawing more amperage than it needs to. There are high and low pressure switches and condensing units too. These are also safety devices and if they uh, are tripped they open. Circuit boards are also uh, in some of the new units because of their high efficiencies and they'll have two speed fan motors sometimes or multiple speed compressors. All of that is something that uh, is new but uh, needs to be taken a look at. If you go to the basement you have a blower and a filter. Uh, obviously the filter has to be clean and I have always got a lot of calls. Yeah, well we just cleaned it last week and just make sure you check that. The blower itself is extremely important. Without the proper airflow across the coil, it will do one or two things. Too much airflow, your head pressure rises. Too low of an airflow, your head pressure falls. Your suction pressure too. Any old system that you're replacing sell the customer the highest efficiency one that they can afford. They will never go wrong with it. The higher the efficiency, the easier the system can work on its own. Less stress on the compressor, the longer the lifespan, everybody will be happy. We'll get into heat pumps at a later date on another podcast. So with that note, this is Carl Darge saying thanks for uh, listening to Geezers and Gurus. Thank you, Anchor, for... Uh, hosting my podcast, and uh, until the next time, Darge did it.